Again, it's going to be Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 8, and please join me in prayer. Holy Lord, show us wonderful things out of your word this morning. Amen. Hear the word of the Lord. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Again, let's pray. Holy Spirit, sanctify us in your word. Your word is truth. Amen. Please be seated. This passage is especially uh, elegant because it is so beautifully put together. Uh, You see a certain theologic within the passage that is really, really inspiring uh, to the reader. First it says in verse 3, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasure, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. That's exactly where we are without the Lord Jesus Christ saving us. So it begins right where the pain is. But then it moves to the great source of our salvation in verse 4. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. He saved us and He is the source of that great salvation. But on the heels of telling us that, it tells us, the basis by which he saved us. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. The reason why we have been saved is strictly and only because of the free grace of God and his love and mercy towards us. And then he shows us the means of how he brings this great love to us. He says, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. The Holy Spirit comes to us, and the Holy Spirit changes us. That's one of the means by which he brings forth this mercy, this merciful transformation to our lives. But also through the one mediator, through Jesus Christ our Savior. He is the one and the only one who is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Father except through Him. And so the passage reminds us of that. But then in verse 7, the little word so gives us three wonderful results of what it means to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. Verse 7 says, So that being justified by His grace, that's the first result, we are justified. God declares in His courtroom, 
that we are forgiven. He, as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, has the power to forgive us and to declare that it is so, and he does it. He does it by his grace, and we are thankful for that. But the other result that he gives us is eternal life, that we might become heirs. God is going to give us part of his... uh, pronouncement is he's going to give us eternal life we are going to be with God forever because of his incredible transforming mercy uh, to our life but the passage goes on even further and brings a third result starting in verse 8 it says the saying this the saying is trustworthy he's talking about the saying that we've just read and I want you to insist on these things So that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. He's telling us essentially that we haven't been blessed with this merciful transformation just to keep it to ourselves. But we have been blessed, as the Old Testament says, to be a blessing so that we might have good works and we might share the love of God and the mercy of God to more and more people. And so this is the theologic of this beautiful passage. One of the beautiful things about this passage is it it teaches us, us how to apply the gospel to daily life. And so I want to apply the gospel, I want to apply this passage to a current event that's happening right now in the world, and it's what's happening in Ukraine. We see the suffering there and we see the uh, Christians responding there in Ukraine. And we immediately see what Paul is talking about in verse 3. We live in a world that's foolish, disobedient, led astray. Led astray means we're like the planets. We have no... We don't know where we're going. We, We meander around. We're slaves to various passions and pleasures. But in a war-torn country, a horrific country uh, being doused with war um, powers, passing our days in malice and envy. The word envy actually means uh, to keep a grudge and to make good on that grudge, which we see happening in Ukraine. And malice and envy hated by others and hating one another's. The phrase hated by others uh, makes sense to us, but in the Greek New Testament, the next word for uh, hating one another is a different Greek word. Uh, It means to think less of others, uh, to think that their rights are not as important as your rights, that that being kind to them isn't important, that they're just not as good as you are. And we see that happening in Ukraine right now in in the horrors of war. But those Christians know that but by by the grace of God they could be that type of individual but they have been saved from that because of the transforming power of the gospel in their life and so look at how they respond in a war-torn country the Christians of Ukraine surely recognize that no matter what happens, verse 7, they are justified by his grace, they are declared righteous, they are forgiven, and no one can take that away from them. And surely they know that this earth is not their home as much as they love their home country. This is not their home. Their home is eternal life, the new heaven and the new earth. And we have so much better things to look forward to. 
but also they know that they were transformed by God's grace to be a blessing. And they have been a blessing in Ukraine. We all know of the Tim Tebow Foundation and Night to Shine, and they have the same thing in, in, uh, with Tim Tebow in Ukraine. And those Christians in Ukraine have teamed up with that organization to protect families that have children with special needs, youth with special needs, or adults with special needs, and they have been helping them get to safety in that war-torn region. That is what the gospel does in our hearts. It transforms us. It knows that we are completely different. And even in the midst of a war zone, we are still going to follow the gospel call in our life. So I'd like to zero in on three aspects of this passage this morning uh, to bring to our attention. The first is uh, one of the amazing patterns of this passage. There's many amazing patterns, but the one that I'd like to bring out is what uh, theologians describe the most elegant way of describing how the gospel comes to somebody in the Bible and using Trinitarian language. Uh, This morning uh, in the first service we had a baptism. And when a child is baptized, in this case, they're baptized in the name singular, one God. But when Jesus names the name, he says the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Three persons, one God, but in the three persons, mysteries of mystery, majesty of majesty, there is the Holy Trinity. And you know, people say one plus one plus one equals Three, what are you Christians talking about? But you know there's a good comeback to that. One times one times one equals one. It's a beautiful thing. We are not speaking about anything that is not unreasonable. We are speaking about something that is super reasonable. It is beyond our comprehension, but something that has been given to us by God. And in this passage we see that the entire triune God is in on our salvation and the salvation of those people that we share the gospel to. One of the things that I love here is the kindness that of God is described in verse 4. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. You know, most people in the world do not think of God as kind. And yet the book of Romans, starting in chapter 2, reminds us that God's kindness is designed to bring us to repentance. God is indeed incredibly kind to us. We deserve so much more judgment and punishment, but we do not get it because of the kindness of our God. He loves us, and kindness in this language meant a lack of a harshness. It meant giving you aid that was really helpful. And so when God comes to us and he gives us the message of salvation, he is, he is not harsh with us. Uh, he's tough with us. He's strong with us. He is the holy God. But he knows our frame is frail and, and he's not harsh with us. But in, in our society, we tend to think of God as that bad cop, you know, good cop, bad cop. And God is the bad cop. But he's not. He's actually a good cop. He's a cop. Trust me, I like the fact that he's a cop. He, he, has, he says a no and he means no. But he is so gracious. He is such a good cop when he's coming to tell us about the way we're living and that he has so much better for us 
and the gospel of grace. And so we see all three, all three members of the Trinity, all three persons of the Trinity involved in this great salvation. God the Father, our Savior, has, He appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, He saved us out of His own choice to do so, out of His love and mercy, His decree. And then when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, He is the one who achieves our salvation. Verse 6 says, For whom he poured out in us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Jesus had to come. Even though we were ungodly and didn't care about anything referencing God, Jesus still died on the cross for us, still achieved the salvation we can never achieve on our own. But he achieved that plan of God. And then the Holy Spirit comes to authenticate that salvation that God the Father had planned and God the Son had won for us, and He now authenticates it in our heart. He applies it to our heart. He changes us and transforms us, and we are completely uh, made new. But I still can't get over the fact of this word kindness. Uh, In our language, we actually use the word, uh, and it's the word philanthropy. And philanthropy in Greek means lover of people. God is a kind God. He is a lover of people. Never stop saying, never stop proclaiming, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall never perish but have everlasting life. God is a lover of men and women, boys and girls, all around the world. Our God is is a God of philanthropy. He loves people. Never stop believing that because that is the character of God. But I have to tell you, it's hard to believe sometimes with with all the mischaracterizations of God and the misunderstandings that people have of God to believe that He is absolutely on your side. He has absolutely got your best interests at heart. He absolutely wants to be kind, and He is kind you. I've got a story to try to illustrate the kindness of God. Uh, My daughter came home from school, this is 10 years ago, and uh, she was going to school over at the upper school at Westminster, and she comes home from school and she says, Dad, you won't believe it, but the deputy directing traffic had to bring a car to the side of the road And he got so mad, he slammed down on the top of the car and started chewing this person out. Can you believe somebody would do that? I said, well, Hannah, I was meaning to talk to you about that. And instantaneously, embarrassment came over her face. She says, you were the person, weren't you? You're the one the deputy got mad at. I said, well, let's just talk about this a little bit. I said, yeah, the deputy told me to zig, and I zagged, and he didn't like that. And he came over, and he was the bad cop, but he pounded on the roof of my car, and I put my window down, and I got a little chit-chat from him. (laughs) But I said, Hannah, that's not the bad part of the story. You've got to be kidding me. There's more? I said, yeah, yeah, Uh, you're basketball coach uh, came by while I was getting chewed out and out of an act of kindness rolled down her window and said to the 
deputy. He's a really good guy, deputy. You can trust him. And that would have been fine. That was an act of sheer kindness. I appreciated it. But then she said the words I didn't really want him to know. Did you know he's a pastor over across the street? He's a really good guy, deputy. And that deputy came, and his, his face was even redder now because I knew I was going to get the lecture. I expect more from a pastor. I knew I was getting that lecture. I knew the bad cop was coming. I knew I was going to get that lecture. And so I stopped him right in the, in the midpoint. I said, hey, deputy, let's, let's talk loosely about me being a pastor over there because I'm actually an associate pastor. And, and I'm pretty sure when the senior pastor finds out I didn't follow your order, I won't be a pastor over there tomorrow. So let's, let's talk about that real loosely. And I'll never forget it. A smile of kindness came on his face. And he looked at me and said, you're in a real predicament, aren't you? <laughs> I said, yes, sir, I am. He said, well, this is how we're going to handle it. I am going to consider that you just got confused on my signaling but you're clear on it now, aren't you? I said, yes, sir, I am very clear on your signals from now on. And he said, all right, we'll, we'll, call, it, we'll call it a day. And uh, he, he was uh, so kind and, and gracious to me. And that is really where God is. God, God has his laws. God has his plan, and he expects it to be followed. But as he implements it, as he administers it in our life, he is so gracious, he is so kind, he is so loving. He really is that, that good cop. So that's the uh, pattern in, that, in this passage. The other aspect that I wanted us to look at is uh, some of the amazing contrasts that are in this passage. Of course, we saw one already. But we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led us stray, slaves of various passions and pleasures. But when, in verse 4, the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. That's the great contrast here, right? But for the grace of God, we would, have, we would be living and doing everything in verse 3. But because of the transforming power of God's grace coming into our life, we've been changed. And we're different different in a good way. And so this is uh, one of those great contrasts. Another great contrast in this passage is it's not about our merit. He even says in verse 5, not because of works done by us in righteousness. We might have actually done some good things, but none of that will get us salvation because we are lost in our sin and, and totally tainted by that sin. But the contrast here, the amazing contrast, but we are given salvation according to his mercy. Uh, one of the things that amazes me most in my life as a Christian is watching other people' lives be transformed by the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. One of my favorite stories is about an inmate uh, who had gotten the message that his brother uh, had died. And he died at the hands of a drunk driver who crossed over the line. And the inmate became beside himself, uh, could not be consoled, and they put him in solitary confinement. And while he was in solitary confinement, he started yelling out, uh, um, handling the bars, making, making a racket, that he wanted to see a pastor. He wanted to see a pastor. He wanted to see a pastor. 
And so the deputy came by to see what he needed, and, and he said, I'm not talking to you. I'm only talking to a pastor. I need a pastor. So they immediately called the chaplain of the jail, and for whatever going on, he was not able to make it. So they knew I was also a pastor. I was a pastor and a deputy. So they asked me if I would come and talk with them, and I said, sure. And in my uniform, I always kept a little slimline uh, New Testament for situations like that. So in his jail cell, I bring out my New Testament, and I said, uh, I'm a real pastor. I know I'm wearing a uniform, but they say that you're really needing to see a pastor. What's going on? And he said, the only person in the world that really ever loved me was my big brother, and he's dead. So nobody in the world loves me. But he said, I remembered when I got the news that my big brother had died, what my big brother once told me, that if you're ever in trouble, if you ever really need anything, call a pastor and they'll help you. Whatever that pastor tells you, you do it. They'll help you. And he says, so I knew that in this world I am completely unloved, but the one advice my brother had given me was to call a pastor. And he also said, my brother told me about Jesus. He told me actually how to believe in Jesus, but I can't remember what he said. So it was the easiest person in the world that I've ever had the grand privilege of leading to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the reason for that is because the Holy Spirit, like this passage said, was already working on him. By the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, he was washing that man already. He was changing his condition. He was regenerating him, bringing him into a new family. And he was renewing his heart, mind, and soul in ways that he could not even describe. But it was all by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he, needed, he knew that he needed to know the gospel. So I shared with him the gospel. And he said, I've got to do this. I've got to surrender my heart. I've got to receive Jesus. I've got to accept Jesus. Because if I don't, then nobody in this world will love me. And I know my brother said he will always love me. It's an amazing story of what we call the doctrine of regeneration. And we have a saying around here that regeneration precedes faith. That regeneration actually gives us the gift of faith. And one of the great passages in the Bible is from the Old Testament, interestingly enough, on the definition of regeneration. And I'd like to read it to you from Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 25, 26, and 27. This is exactly what was happening in his heart by the sovereign power of the Holy Spirit in his life. God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, and I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Notice in God's great grace, he's going to cause us to do good things. He's going to cause us to walk in his laws. That's exactly what happened to this man. Even though he was known as a rabble rouser in the jail, he became known as a trustee, which is what we call an inmate 
who can be more trusted than others. He didn't miss any Bible study that the chaplain gave. In fact, the chaplain of the jail was one of the most honorable and spiritual men I've ever known. And he just had discipled thousands through the years. He was an older man uh, in the ways of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this guy was just growing by leaps and bounds. But a few weeks later, I decided to come back by and just see how he was doing. And I wanted to test him. So I said, hey, uh, what do you think about your, the guy who killed your brother, the drunk driver? How do you feel about him now? And I'll never forget what he said. He said, well, have you ever heard the phrase, but for the grace of God, there go I? I said, yeah, I've heard that once or twice. He said, well, I feel like I would have been the drunk driver, but God's kindness kept me not committing that even though I had driven drunk many, many times. And he said, I figured I needed to forgive that man. And besides, I hated losing my brother, but I would have never known, I don't think, the love of Jesus had it not been for that happening. And so even in a very, very hard situation, you see the kindness of God. This man felt the kindness of of God for sure. Then finally, I would like to look at some of the amazing teachings that we see uh, in this uh, passage, the amazing truths. We call these in theology the doctrines of grace, and I love them. I hope you love them. I hope there's something that encourages your soul, but the first doctrine is that we are foolish and disobedient, and we were led a slave, and we are slaves to various passions and pleasures. And as the book of Ephesians says, we were dead in our sin and we cannot save ourselves. We are completely tainted by our sin. But the good news is God has chosen us by his great mercy and grace. Verse 4, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, God the Father has saved us, not because of the works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. And then what does God do? He gives us the Lord Jesus Christ to be not just the Savior of the world, but verse 6 says, our Savior. He saves us. When Jesus Christ went to the cross, he did not just die for a nameless humanity. Jesus died knowing specifically your name, And knowing specifically who he was going to apply this great saving power to. There's an old phrase in Reformed theology. You have always been on God's mind. And his mind has always been made up about you. He loves you and he loves you forever. And he was willing to send his son to keep covenant with us. To keep that relationship going. And then, I don't have the power to save myself, nor do I have the power to even give faith or even to understand the spiritual things of Scripture. But God gives us the regeneration, the washing and and regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. And then finally, God makes sure that we realize that He will never leave us nor forsake us and that we can be confident now and forever, that we are secure in Him. 
as verse 7 says, that we become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We know for certain that nothing and no one can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you and praise you that you are sovereign over all. And I thank you and praise you that in your great power, you have decreed to be kind to us, Lord. I thank you that in your great power and your great authority, as you sit with all glory around you, that you wanted to be kind to us, to sinners. I thank you that you gave us Jesus, who is the friend of sinners. And Lord, I pray that if anyone is in this sanctuary right now who does not know Jesus Christ as their friend, who is the friend of sinners, the Savior of sinners, the Lord of sinners, the Lord of heaven and earth, and know the power of his unchanging love, I pray that they would hear their shepherd's call, that good shepherd's call to them right now to call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. And for those of us, Lord, who have had the great privilege of having the Holy Spirit change our heart and our mind and our soul to be oriented towards you and to be interested in things of God, I pray that you would remind to us to the deepest part of our hearts that you love us and you will never let us down. You will never leave us nor forsake us. And to this we give you the praise. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen. Oh. <laughs> you made a mistake? I know, yeah. And I made a mistake. Yeah, we're, we're totally cool. Here we go. Please stand for the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.